Welcome to the Worship Theology Podcast. I'm Dr. Jeremy Perigo, and in this podcast, I bring in guest theologians, scholars, musicians, Christian leaders, and together we attempt to bridge faith and ministry praxis. Worship Theology is a podcast to fuel and nurture vital discussions on worship, music, and theology. So we're so glad that you've joined us as we think deeply about Christian worship. Dr. Eric Sarwar, a missiologist, minister, and musical peacemaker is my guest today. And today we're going to unpack his dissertation and also his peace-building musical ministry in Pakistan. Well, it is my joy, honor, privilege to have, yeah, someone I've known off and on for probably almost a decade. We've gotten to work together and, and chat at different conferences and events. I have Dr. Eric Sarwar. Welcome, Eric. Well, thank you, Jeremy. Obviously, it is indeed a pleasure. And I recall, I think we met first time at IWS in 2012 during my initial starting over there. But somehow that didn't work out. But we are glad we connected and praise God. uh, We are here after this decade and uh, talking (laughs) about it. On so many um, common passions on worship, theology, missiology, I've I've just always loved your perspective, and you've you've challenged me, stretched me, and encouraged me every time. So I know we're in for a treat today. Well, it's my pleasure, and let's uh, let's see how we how we challenge our audience today. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, just just to those who maybe aren't familiar with you or your work, this is a question we ask a lot of guests. What's a memorable moment for you in corporate worship? You've been a pastor, a church musician, a, a, a scholar. As you think about Christian worship, what's what's a moment that that comes to mind right away, and and, and why is that maybe significant to you? Well, thank you, Jeremy, for uh, asking this question. Because generally, first of all, there is a misconception that Pakistan is totally Muslim country, and there are no Christians. So let me tell my friends, uh, those who are listening, that Pakistani Christians are in Pakistan even before the creation of Pakistan. So, so Pakistan came into being in 1947 after British partition when they parted India. But however, Christian presence was there since 18th mid of and the, and the late late 19th century. So myself is a third generational. Uh, reformed Presbyterian Christian in that tradition. However, regarding your question, that's an interesting question because uh, in my little hometown, which is Karachi, I raised and born in Karachi. And um, uh, so in my little hometown, which was its name Isa Nagri, Isa, you know, is an Arabic Christ and Nagar means a town. So Isa Nagar means Christ town or, or town of Christ. So that's a one of one bigger colony uh, in Karachi city more than I think 50, 60,000 Christians living in a one place. So uh, when I started my, my my early childhood worship experience um, is vivid because going to church or Sunday school is different. But uh, I started my proper ministry as a Roman Catholic choir boy because that was the only church those have acquired at that time. And my musical passion took me to there. So that was a kind of uh, memorable time when the whole liturgy uh, in, uh, in front of you, and, and at that time, it is it is like 1990s, early 1990s, and 92, 93. And the most interesting part was the priest was a Dutch missionary to Pakistan. 
So, so that was interesting. We were, uh, we were worshiping in a Roman Catholic church. And um, so the priest is Dutch. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, one of the vivid learning was um, uh, like a Easter hallelujah. You probably remember that. That is... Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. That melody is just still in my mind even after 25, 30 years. <laughs> so, so you can see that that whole liturgical from entrance to, to the final benediction and then the a liturgy, a liturgy, and then Lathoria, and then praise, and Gloria, and all these aspects of worship. So that was part of my early upbringing. Yeah. Oh, so contrast to that, formative moments. Yeah. after serving four or five years as a Roman Catholic choir leader and choir man, Pentecostal Church invited me <laughs> to, to lead a worship. So that was entirely different, different angle and different part of the spectrum. And that was entirely different because it was a free uh, kind of a jubilant um, and, and more rigorous rather than more like it was fluid rather than more designed worship. Yeah. So I had an um, experience of these both kind of a streams of Christian worship in my early formative periods. I love that. I mean, I, I, I didn't have the Roman Catholic exper experience, but as a young boy, I was at a Christian Reformed school, so kindergarten through eighth grade, Christian Reformed, but then Assemblies of God, Pentecostal Church on Wednesday nights and Sundays. And so, again, that deep tradition and liturgy, but also the, the as you said, fluidity and, and flow and kind of dynamic spontaneity. I, I love that. Uh, Eric, you've you've recently finished your PhD. I got to read through some of some of your work too on that, and yeah, just really exciting stuff. I'm just curious what initially drew you to the study of kind of theology, missiology, worship. Um, what 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 was some of those initial um, moments or or circumstances that said I want to not only be a church musician, but I actually want to be a theologian and and, and study at, at the highest level. Well, that's interesting, uh, Jeremy. Uh, that was a disturbing question, actually. You know, since my early formative periods, I'm a, I'm a born Christian in a, in a Christian family, you know, a strict, uh, a proper uh, living uh, in, in a context where you are always under the questions, living in a 97% Muslim context. And I raised in that generation, like, uh, like 80s and 90s when I was growing, so Pakistan was under the under the highly kind of uh, extremist culture because of Afghan-Russia war, Pakistan's direct involvement as an American ally, and then the then the religious atmosphere was 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 so conservative, and so tense. And because I was in Karachi, other side there was a political also like Karachi was known as Little Beirut at that time. So being a Christian and being, uh, being raising in that cultural context, I always question what is our Christian identity? What is our cultural Christian identity? Because at one side you are living under the highly influenced Muslim culture on 
contrary to that, that's interesting contrast actually, because uh, from media side, Indian culture was dominating Bollywood culture, and you know all these uh, all these movies uh, and the and the and the dance and the music and art wherever you go, all these uh, all these musical sound in the uh, in the public transport at at the streets and the vendors everywhere wherever you go. So you can see that uh, you were living in a Muslim context, but but you were also influenced and shaped by the Indian, uh, like a Hindu uh, culture as well as. So in midst of these heavy cultures, actually, what is your cultural Christian identity? So that was kind of a disturbing moment and questions which led me to go deeper and find out how can we, living in a Pakistani context, uh, how can we uh, we express our our worship and our praise, which is culturally relevant as well as distinct from from Islam and from Hinduism? So that draw me actually uh, kind of toward that part of the study. In in yeah, in my own research and even just friends in in Turkey and Iraq, I know that particularly for Christians in the Middle East or Christians living in a in a Muslim majority context, that becomes such a a key question. I've heard it hundreds of times. What does it mean to be a Pakistani Christian or what does it mean to be an Arab Christian or Turkish Christian? And particularly, what does it mean as we come together to worship? What is our liturgical identity? And I, yeah, I think it's, I mean, of course, in the West, we have, again, other forces that help shape our identity and who we are and what we believe. But, but what, what, what were some of those, those, early challenges for you as as a as yeah a boy as a growing worship musician in in the, in these different church contexts as you tried to define what does it mean or who am i as i come to to worship i mean you talked about kind of the bollywood influences in the media and talked about the kind of political culture what what when you came to worship in those moments were there moments where you felt this, I, I'm genuinely me in this moment, and our community is genuinely expressing our own unique identity. Are, yeah, were there any moments like that? Well, first of all, language, you know, uh, because uh, uh, that's interesting because predominantly Pakistani Christians are Punjabis, because that was the result of a mass movement with the early missionary, when the church growth movement, you know, when it came to pack, came to USA in 1980s through Donald McGovern uh, here at Fuller. However, the model was adopted from from India Mission because uh, his father was a missionary to India. So that was uh, we are the fruit of that mass movement actually, which was church growth movement in that context. So. First of all, language. Number two is socioeconomic status and institutionalized discrimination. So, because when you are living in a, uh, as a marginalized Christians as well as, and then then you are not accepted as a fully citizenship. You don't have political voice. You don't have social voice. You don't have economical voice. So, uh, so, so these were the challenges actually when you come to into worship. That's where you. That's where you are accepted as an equal. You know. So that's where you are in front of God's throne room, and and you can say whatever you want. You 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 are received as equal in the front of the Lord's table, and and you are expressing your joy and sorrows, and even your your gratitude uh, in a jubilant in a, in a praise that uh, that you are offering uh, to God's throne room. But beside that, there was also another uh, aspect of worship, which is lament. 
because uh, uh, that is what I have seen that is a missing part in the Western worship. Um, uh, but it's a regular part in our worship. That's why primarily, uh, generally, musical composition, whether they are psalms, whether they are hymns, whether they are contemporary Christian songs, whether they are praise, which composition doesn't have minor notes, that doesn't click to audience. So, so that's why our Indian culture is always um, uh, half, half of the scale is major and half of the scale is minor. So, so this is a kind of a life, um, uh, uh, I would say the weaving of this all um, musical expressions which we have through in that culture that play a great role to express joy and sorrows together. They flow together. <laughs> so, so that is the moment actually I think uh, um, give us a, a kind of a moment where you are, you are actually then where you are, what you are. Yeah. Oh, I, I love that. And I think that's something that maybe you and your experience and culture can bring to to Western culture too, because so much of our pop worship is overly positive and overly inspirational. Even when we are, we are drawing from the Psalms, which is great when we when those are written. But it is one or two verses of the Psalms rather than sitting with the the whole Psalm, which actually many of those Psalms do take you through the deep dark valleys of life of pain and suffering but then but god and then brings us you know to those moments of hope and i love that even in the the musical styles that you're in the in the kind of harmonic structures that you're you're talking about there's there is the the major and the minor there which is something yeah often in in the west we don't we we don't draw from it's it's just we're, we're happy. We want to inspire. We want to feel good about, about life, but actually where there's problems in our own, in our own areas, in our own, own stuff. Um, yeah, I, I love that challenge. You, you mentioned the Psalms and that's been a key part of, of your own, your own ministry. Um, but also a key part of, of, um, yeah, of your, your doctoral research. And I'm, I'm curious, could you just share a little of the history of the use of the Psalms in Pakistan and, and how the Psalms have been important in the in the worshiping life of this community. Yeah, that's interesting because Psalms is known in Pakistan as uh, Bible to illiterate Pakistanis. So because when you are engaging in an oral culture where 65 to 70 percent uh, peoples are living in orally culture and you transmitting and you are you are translating everything to an oral oral text. So Psalm, the history of Psalm is very interesting because when missionaries came as like everywhere in the 1880s, um, 1875s, and you know, onward from mid, mid, mid 19th century onward, uh, all m major mission players were in Pakistan. Uh, however, Presbyterian mission, which was that well, at that time, it was UP, UP, yes, United Presbyterian Church of North America, so, uh, which is now today PCUSA. So, so that was their work in uh, India mission near Sialkot Mission Center. And Sialkot is a place where uh, first time, uh, like Andrew Gordon, that a missionary's name, and, uh, and few other, uh, other missionaries, those who find out that actually their missionary um, uh, hymns or the songs which they are bringing from Western culture are not going to penetrate people's heart. The reason was that because Indic musicology, Indian raga system and Indian, you know, still today Bollywood music is still a part of the global larger culture. So at that time they realized that that's not going to work here. So they tried to find out how can we 
communicate and how can we bring the, bring the Psalms into that part of the world. And as we all know that Psalms was a part of a missionary endeavor since first century. Even Jesus Christ mentioned when he, uh, uh, you know, when he resurrected in the Luke chapter 24, verse 44, he mentions explicitly whatever written in the Torah, then Navim and Katabim and Psalms he especially mentioned. Um, and we have a whole history of the book of Acts and the New Testament where Psalms has a dominant role to understand Christ's work. So that's that's what a history, which a legacy, which came to through ref, reformed and reformation to Pakistan. Uh, the interesting part was that when they formed a committee, the committee's uh, intention was not to engage musically properly. And the important thing was how they translate the text. And then the focus was text, not the tunes. So that's why uh, that when texts were translated into on the style of a metrical psalm, however, they adopted a local model, which I believe uh, it is my personal uh, perspective because uh, uh, Sikh Gurubani, Sikh Kirtan was already existing at that time. So, and the, and the majority of the Christians were Punjabis. So already Kirtan were singing in Punjabi. They use same musical instrument. They use same ragas. So I assume, in, in my perspective, they find out what are the local uh, genre they can get. So there were two genres. One was folk, which was light classical. Uh, at that time, ghazal was uh, kind of a part of that, but, but not dominantly. So folk and... Uh, Kirtan singing actually influenced uh, to creating and to arranging book of Psalms. The most interesting part was that the book of Psalms uh, poetically composed all 150 Psalms by a Muslim Shia convert. <laughs> His name was I.D. Shahbaz, Imam Deen Shahbaz. So he was a young boy when he converted through a Christian mission school and he was a Shia converted. And he he translated the whole book of Psalm. And then they tried to find out where is a musician, how can we find a musician? And then that another interesting part is that they find a Hindu musician. His name was Radha Kishan. <laughs> so because that was the early, uh, early formative period of Christianity, mid-late 19th century, and, and the Christians were mostly illiterate, they were poor, socioeconomically outcast, and they don't have these kind of artistic and creative community that time. So majority, you can see that Book of Psalm is a product of interfaith <laughs> collaboration. Muslim convert translated the text into poetry and Hindu musician Radha Krishnan composed and the Christian community is singing. <laughs> so you can see that what, uh, what a collaboration uh, and, and, uh, and a tapestry of the Book of Psalm in Pakistani context. Eric, you've shared a lot about some of the different influences on on the early psalm book, and particularly musical influences, and and this this passion by these early writers and even missionaries of utilizing local kind of indigenous musical forms. Why why is that important um, to not just export um, you know sounds from other parts of the world, but to allow local sounds to to be key in our in our congregational song and in our well, as I mentioned earlier, that uh, Indian musicology and Indian ragas were were part of a DNA. Like if I mention different cultures have a different um, indicators. India is. Um, is a sonic culture, you know. It's a it's a sound 
the ambience of the Indian sound, the drone <laughs> and the ragas, all this kind of. So that's why, uh, and besides that, it's an oral culture. However, there was an attempt because in the in the other parts of India, there were already few books which have been translated, uh, uh, but also uh, uh, Western hymns have been attempted to uh, to penetrate but there was a bulwark the local culture the local language local raga system was bulwark against that uh, uh, invasion of a western kind of uh, uh, melodic and the songs and all this so that's how it worked out in pakistani context that was you know it was it was that part india when it was british india so uh, so the local music system worked a lot, as I uh, stated earlier also, that there were few genres which were already played over there. At that century, uh, ghazal was a light classical part of that. However, on a, at a religious scale, kirtan were there, bhajans were already there. But if we come to Pakistani side, there were already Sufi music, which was already already playing a great role. Uh, the mystics and the Punjabi Sufi poetry and the Punjabi Sufi poets. Um, uh, beside that, there was also a culture of Marcia, which was uh, annual mem- commemoration of the massacre of the of the Prophet's family by the Shiite Islam. So the concept of Marcia was already there. And then there was Hamd and Naat, which was Nasheed in the eulogy, in the praise of the Prophet. So you can see that they were all culturally bended. Uh, and then the Kawali. Kawali was another Sufi powerful genre. However, Psalms has not been uh, composed for a Kawali genre. They were primarily composed for uh, like a Sufi kind of a style, which is more plain and repetitive and also... Uh, like a chanting style, so so that's how uh, the local genre played a great role for the for the production of the Punjabi Psalter. Yeah, in in this conversation, you we've 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 been talking about it, but kind of talking around this idea of engagement between Christianity and Islam, and particularly your approach um, in your scholarly work and also in in some of your ministry is bridge building and peacemaking through the use of of the psalms you know we've we've shared a little bit of why the psalms have been important to christians but can you can you um give us a a window into the muslim world and and kind of why are the the psalms also the biblical psalms important to to many uh, yeah that's interesting uh, question and, and a very critical question actually which which we need in 21st century because uh, from past 14 centuries our western approach to islam is more confrontational more polemic and more culturally alienated the reason i see is because western mission uh, thinking and western mission models have been designed by uh, by a mis- mission leaders or mission uh, practitioners those who are trained in a western cognitive printed and uh, uh, kind of a, 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 a literary formative in a literary formation. However, they when they go to serve in an oral oral culture, which is non-literate, non-literate culture, which is uh, which is non-cognitive and which is more uh, a more non-literary approach, where oral word has more power than a written word. <laughs> you know, and we use phrase that that my tongue has a more weight than your words, and <laughs> that's our culturally uh, uh, kind of a phrase which we use. So 
so that's that was the that was the misunderstanding of a muslim mind and muslim muslim culture so that is my my take and my critique that if you are going uh, to a Muslim context and engaging for a friendship and 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 engagement, so you don't go with your Western literary cognitive perspective. Go and enter uh, uh, on a learning mode where you are engaging. So, so my approach, which is predominantly on based on Psalms, so uh, I offer and propose that book of Psalm, which is Zabur, because uh, in, in a Muslim understanding of a theology and revelation, there are God has sent only four, well, there are 144,000, uh, according to their counting, uh, prophets God sent into the world, but only four has a books. And who are these four? Moses, Torah, David, Daud, Zabur, and uh, Isa, Christ, they said Injil or gospel. And then they said in the last end is the final culmination is the, is the, is the uh, Quran with the Prophet Muhammad. However, our concept of revelation is entirely different uh, from Muslim content. But the, but, the, but the importance and the significance of this uh, paradigm is from past 14 centuries, there are only few scholars who try to attempt bringing Psalms or Zabur to engage with the Muslim world. Otherwise, primarily majority have talked or engaged through the Torah or the, go, go, the from the Moses or the Shariat concept or from the gospel or Anjil concept. However, they totally muted the Psalms and they never bring it uh, at the front row uh, as a part of, uh, of a Muslim Christian engagement. So that's what I realized that Zabur or Psalms has a great potential if we really want to engage with our majority world, if we really want to uh, want to make a friendship which which is respected, which is revered, and which is historic. So that's why I can give you one example there. There are more than sixteen times Daud David mentioned in the in the Quran. There is a direct quotation uh, from Psalm 37 that the righteous will inherit the earth. That Muslim believe that this is for them because at that time Islam was ruling over the world. You know, so so there there are lots of lots of other uh, convergences. Even there are a few Qurans have been publishing, uh, which are referring their parallel understanding of the Muslim and uh, Christianity. Uh, especially the Abrahamic religion, monotheistic. So these Qurans are putting footnotes on each surah, on each surah to surah, each verse to verse, footnotes which refer to that concept or that word, to Psalms, to Torah, or to gospel, or different different uh, biblical, pa- biblical uh, scripture references. So you can see that these are coming. Uh, however, even there are few other, uh, uh, I think, uh, uh, approaches which through with the Oxford uh, and Dr. Golden Gay from Fuller actually they have already started in England now uh, interfaith Psalms conversations then there are scriptural reasoning so lots of things are coming but how again my 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 question again is scriptural reasoning you are going again with the cognitive mind <laughs> you know if you are interpreting you are again going with the uh, with the with the literary perspective uh, uh, engaging with elites engaging with the scholars my approach is more on uh, on a common ground with the common folks you know you go with singing inviting 
folks and, and people and choirs and Sufis and singer and artists and everybody, and they can sing along. So my approach is more on a ground grassroots level approach. It's not elite approach where only few can reach out. So that's that's what I am uh, uh, I'm trying to proposing in my research. Yeah, and mu in yeah music it is emotive. Where sometimes, of course, words can be emotive too, very emotive, and can fuel. But often that that very cognitive academic approach, um, yeah, is is connecting with the mind. But sometimes the emotion, the heart, the seat is uh, of our of our emotions can 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 be fueled by yeah music and particularly local music styles and and you've been so you've been not only kind of theorizing or reflecting or researching but but creating um some psalms festivals that have brought christians and also muslims together what what has that actually looked like how yeah is is this just theory or is there some oh, some it's, some it's, common it's ground a fascinating being, me. Being i share you it surprises me even you know uh, when we planned first time to visit uh, Sufi Shrine with my with my school students, with the school team, School of Tahleem, School of Church Music and Worship, which I started in Pakistan. So we went there. That was the Bidshah. Bidshah is a Shah Abdul Latif Bidais, uh, one of the one of the revered and one of the ancient, like more than four hundred years old, uh, Sufi shrine in the in the Sindh, which is not Punjab, by the way. It is in a Sindh in near Karachi. When when we go to near Sindhi language, so uh, so Sindh is a word where word come Hind actually Hind and Sindh. You can see that the 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 phonetics are same. So. Uh, uh, so when we went there first time and we translated psalms into Sindhi music and the Sindhi music, especially the rhythm pattern, uh, which was which was typically Sindhi. Uh, uh, if you are if you are a uh, ethnomusicologist in Pakistan and you can right away uh, find a difference. Oh, this is Sindhi Karwa, eight beat, and this is Punjabi Karwa. Oh, this is a, uh, this is a, 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 like a, a, another drum beat in a Punjab, which we call Bhangra. Is this Bhangra or is this a different kind of a Ghazal Karwa? So there's different kind of a patterns. So, so we try to bring that that flavor, that rhythmic flavor into into that that psalms when we talk. We, we keep the text, we keep the tune. But we, but we, uh, we transpose in a way which uh, uh, resonate with the Sufis how they sing over there. Can you believe that when we reach there, uh, the Sufi? Uh, I I have been connected through our Sufi friends, and they make they they serve as a catalyst bridge to engage. Can you believe the Sufi head, the shrine head? What he told me, he said, from last three hundred years. You are the first ever Christian delegates who came to this shrine. Mm. From front door, we have been received with open arms. We have been welcomed. And he said, generally, in a Pakistani context, because of the Western mission model, they just go with the printed material. They distribute from the back doors, hidden. Uh, uh, and then whenever they've been caught up, they've been beaten up. Sometimes they hand over to police, you know. And... That was my take. I said, I'm not going from back door. I'm not going to adopt these, uh, uh, some kind of a model which have someone else designed somewhere else and, and applying to here. I'm going with my cultural way. And since then, we have interfaith psalm festivals. We have interfaith uh, scholarly engagement and talking about the psalm. What are the concepts? We have a Sufi scholars who are finding parallels between the psalms. So you can see that Zabur as a poetry uh, parallel to Quran. Quran is a poetry. They recite it. 
it's it's a the Quran actually is not a manuscript. That's one more thing I would like to explain to our audience. The basic word Quran is not a written book. Actually, it is uh, according to Islamic story uh, and the and the Quran narrative. When Gabriel came to Prophet Muhammad, he says, "Ikra bismir Rabbal Zikhalak." Recite in the name of the Lord who created everything. Recitation is a Quran. The manuscript written book is a mushaf. Mushaf means a written manuscript. So that's why thousands and thousands, millions of millions in the Muslim world, there are hufaz or hafiz, who hifz, who memorize the whole Quran. So the actually Quran is a recitation. It is not a written book. So again, that oral, the oral, oral culture that you're, yeah, that you're, you're talking about. Even, even when there is a, even, yeah, even when there is a, a holy book, it is about reciting, understanding, memorizing, and then it's all speaking, sound. Sharing. It's how yeah. you karat, how you ikra, how you yeah. karat that yeah. Quranic phrase. So, so, so zabur or psalms has again this parallel because zabur you can only sing or recite. You know, if you go to historical practices of Samadhi, which, by the way, I'm presenting papers in these coming years, and also, uh, what are the practices of Samadhi parallel to uh, to the to the Muslim context, Muslim music culture? So, so these are things actually uh, which uh, in the 21st century we need to understand that Zabur or Book of Psalm has a great potential and parallel to various convergences theoretically, musically, conceptually, theologically, culturally. There are various parallel run uh, into the Book of Psalm with the with the Muslim context. Yeah, that's no, that's so helpful, and I think again your 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 doctoral research highlights those convergences but then also your practical ministry has has some great great examples i'm i'm curious on the flip side what about some divergences um you know if you're i, I can just picture sitting there and you know i've i've been in a, a levy gem heavies like you know the alevi um yeah branch of islam in turkey i've been in you know sunni mosques in turkey and in iraq I know, um, yeah, we can be sitting there having chai, drinking, talking, and quickly, um, once they find out I'm a, a Christian, their their first you know question will be, what do you believe about Jesus? The second will be about Trinity. The third will be about the corruption of the Injil. So I, there are these doctrinal differences often at play, and at, particularly in the lived theology of ordinary people. And I'm, I'm curious, how do maybe some of the different interpretations in the Psalms, you know, as if you and I maybe were singing Psalm 22 and, and heard, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know, my mind might go straight to the cross, to Jesus. I'm, I'm curious, how do those divergences play out, either, either in some of that practical ministry where there is some differences um, in, in thinking doctrinally, theologically? Yeah, what, what does that look like in practice or maybe well, even in, uh, in, in these theory? These three or four general accusations and divergences are not new. They are since Islam and Christianity engaged each other from past 14 centuries. So, so this, these are still a debate and these are still uh, divergences existing. We cannot ignore that. Um, when I was talking in Lahore, I was talking with a, uh, with a, with a Islamic professor. And he said that actually, uh, when we sit with uh, each other, we are, we are not denying our, our divergences and differences or theological uh, kind of uh, both different uh, fronts in the theological arena. However, when we sit together, 
we accept each other with, with differences. And that's the beauty. We are not denying that. And they are, they, are, they are debatable. We are debating from that one. And why they are foreplay. And uh, well, that's an interesting point. I think I mentioned in my dissertation. Um, uh, when I asked him, what do you think? Why Psalms has not been uh, part of the conversation? You know what he said? Now the Muslim scholar, what he's saying? He says, actually, they are not theologically charged concepts. Because they are more spiritually, they they call you for a more spiritual pilgrimage. They call you uh, 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 lowering lowering your guard. They they are they are inviting you in a vulnerable position where you where you see yourself as a fellow pilgrim rather than as a superior uh, religious person. You know, so that's why uh, we. Um, so far, wherever we sit and together, uh, whether in Lahore, whether in Rawalpindi, whether in, in, in Karachi or, or Sufis, wherever they are, everybody know these are our differences. We believe that differences, they believe that differences. However, Book of Psalms, actually, when we discuss and sit together for singing or sharing or reading or reciting Psalms, totally the mood and the atmosphere change. Like I give you one another example. When I was in Lahore for an interfaith conversation with the with the Muslim and Christian scholars, and we have a whole day, so I picked Psalm one hundred thirty nine to read before starting the program. So I read Psalm one thirty nine, and then the Muslim scholar. I mean, he started Surah Rahman, and from Surah Rahman, he talked about the same creation and the same creative concept which was already mentioned in Psalm one thirty nine. So, so you can see that here, uh, the problem is uh, all these uh, theological uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, grappling with these theological concepts is also a part of a history of a polemic and, um, and which we call manazra culture. Manazra is debate culture. Again, Western approach. <laughs> you know, you are bringing your all cognitive uh, tools and then you try to do what whatever, you know. I'm not saying that is not there. It is there. But we all know it, it will not take you anywhere. <laughs> they are still lying there. And it will be there. But what is the alternative approach where you set aside and walk together as a fellow pilgrim on a road where you are seeking and trying to understanding where God's spirit leading? Music and the Psalms are are so powerful at opening those doors as yeah those who are seeking God. Um, I can think of many times in Turkey as as we lived there, like just playing guitar in the park and singing parts of the Psalms in Turkish and in kind of local you know Anadolu rock Turkish pop you know that that kind of style and yeah young people would gather and just begin to have conversations about. God, about life, about one another, about our differences sometimes, but also about similarities. I'm curious through this this whole project, like what what's something that you've learned? You've had lots of experience, kind of grown up in this culture, but but as as you've kind of dug into the Psalms and particularly as as this as a as as Psalms festivals, as peace building activities between Christians and Muslims. What's something new or a new insight you've you've gained through this whole project? Well, that's interesting. Uh, I think I have quoted another interview when I uh, we have a we have a Psalm festival in Karachi, and there were a young uh, band, actually contemporary band, 
and both band members were Muslim and Christian together. And the, and the lead singers were one Christian singer and two other boys were there. I was totally unaware who are they. So when they finished and I went to, uh, went to the stage and I just asked them their reflection and what they are feeling uh, while singing psalms. And, uh, and the one boy who was the lead vocalist, he told me that he is a Hafiz. He's a Hafiz of Quran. So he said that while singing psalm and while they were practicing, he feel there is no difference between the Quranic Kirat while he Kirat that and while he was singing Punjabi or the Psalms in Urdu language or Punjabi language. So the, the problem is not this. The challenge is not this actually while they are reciting Quran, a poetry uh, for, um, for their own blessings or, or the understanding that they will get something reward. But when they sing Zabur or Psalm, they said, we heard about Daud, we heard about Zabur, but we never had a chance to read or recite them because they are not in the Quran and they are not part of the uh, part of the Muslim prayer or the, or the Muslim liturgy. But when they encounter the text of Psalms, you know, they say that it is, it, it feels them that they are in a divine presence. The same equally feeling which they feel when they're reading, uh, reciting Quran, and when they read our uh, Psalms. The difference is the Quran they read in only in Arabic, while Zabur or Psalms are available in their own language, which are more deeply penetrated and create a more connection rather than the foreign language which they only recite for the blessing purposes. Mm-hmm. So you can see the difference uh, wherever, whether with the Sufis, wherever. With the with the scholars, with the with the singers, even one scholar told me that whenever he go to church and he attended church, by the way, these they attended church, and he said that whenever he listens Psalm one thirty six, which is Shukr Yahova, it's in Punjabi language. Shukr Yahova dahi karu karu Shukr Yahova da to give thanks to the Lord. So he said, whenever he he listened that one, he said that he transcended. <laughs> so, so you can see that uh, uh, these book of Psalms uh, are transforming, and not only, but it's a transcendence experience to those Muslim who has never ever listened or read Zabur, and when they read and listen, because inside their cognitive mind, they read in the Quran. They listen the khutbahs and they read the the, uh, the stories or the stories of the prophet and they heard that oh Daud has given this one and Lahne Daudi the beautiful uh, the beautiful uh, beautiful voice of Daud and Zabur as a divine revelation and now they are reading oh you can you can imagine you can just see their faces how how they feel at that time. So that was the pri- that the privilege for all of us, actually. Oh, yeah, such a powerful testimony. What 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 do you hope, particularly those those of us Christians listening to this or thinking about your work, your your scholarship, your ministry? What do you hope that um, yeah we might learn, or what's an impact from your scholarship or ministry for those living outside of the Muslim majority context? Well, first of all, it's a new concept for them, and uh, uh, because you know since uh, reformation and since the western mission endeavors in the muslim context uh, we have some mistakes we have <laughs> when i say we have i'm i'm representing western hemisphere right now so uh, but this the moment when when god has given and uh, directing us to to these new fresh approaches although change is different we know it's 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 very hard to accept but i'm i'm challenging now mission agencies and um, and especially academics uh, those who have 
of worship and music, uh, like uh, uh, discipline in their uh, in their curricula. So I would I would ask them to to endure, uh, to explore Psalms from a missional perspective, because in the Western context, Psalm is only for a private and personal or congregational uplifting and nourishment of the church and the body of Christ. That's fine. I agree with that. That should be there. Uh, but what is the chief purpose of the Psalms? Why have been these written? That people may know you, Lord, that nations know you, ethnies knows you, they praise you, okay? So uh, so if we fail like the Jewish nation failed in the Second Temple Judaism, you know, and Christ said that, that you you didn't recognize the time when you when the time of visitation so i think i think god is giving us uh, fresh approaches and uh, new avenues through the book of psalm to read and use it from from a missional and from uh, uh, from a, a culturally perspective uh, rather than only from a spiritually or theological perspective oh, so i think this is the, this would be a big challenge to the mission agencies, churches, congregation, uh, missional churches, or scholars, uh, or academia. Yeah, it's a great, great challenge in a sense, like using scripture as mission, but and using a uh, scripture that's that's shared by Abrahamic faiths as 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 mission too. I, I'd love to just wrap up with with one final question, and we've talked a lot about some some cool stories of things going on in, in your life and ministry. Um, we haven't gotten too deep into some of the challenges of, of, of life in, in Pakistan for Christians, but I I'd love for, as, as we leave kind of as, as some prayer points, how can we better walk in solidarity again, particularly those, those in the West, how can we better support and walk in solidarity with the church in, in Pakistan? Yeah, uh, well, thank you very much, Jeremy. Uh, I really appreciate these questions because, as I mentioned earlier, generally, when wherever I go and people hear me about Pakistan, oh, uh, when did you convert it? <laughs> and uh, uh, how long have you been Christians? You know, so so I told them, well, I'm a fourth generational born Christian. So, <laughs> so there are Christians living in Pakistan. First of yeah. all, we need to know that there are a, a majority of more than I think 20, 20 million, more than 20 million uh, Christians living. It's a huge number uh, living in Pakistan. Uh, first of all, as you know, that Christianity came out and uh, from a margin of the society. And uh, so still there is a taboo, there is a social, uh, a social uh, then there are institutional, and then there's a political and economical, um, uh, what I would say, discrimination uh, in that country. So again, depend on the rural Christianity and urban Christianity. They have a totally different contours. However, from past, uh, past century, God has blessed Christians also in Pakistan. Christian witness through the missionary uh, institutions of medical, uh, the hospitals, uh, colleges, universities, as well as worship community are there. But so far, still Pakistani Christians are vulnerable. We are living under the blasphemy law and uh, and there are institutional discrimination but it doesn't mean that we are we cannot practice what we are doing by law by the constitution we are free to worship we have uh, we have a more than a century history in the uh, practicing faith in that country so we need to pray especially for the for the leadership uh, and then uh, currently because i'm working on developing a, our cultural contextual theology through the book of psalms 
So we need to pray uh, for the theological academia, which is totally highly influenced by the Western uh, curricula and the Western influence. So this, this is the long haul, I know, but, <laughs> but kindly pray for that. I also uh, would like to challenge our mission donor and partners, those who are partners in Pakistan, actually uh, try do not try to engage with the, uh, with the, uh, with the elite or with which I say that because I, I don't want to go that side, but uh, generally the history is uh, history is uh, it's easy to engage with one person rather than community, you know, <laughs> dictators, governments changing, you know, engage one people and do everything. Uh, church is doing that, uh, adopting the same model. So, so we need to discuss and institutionalize. We need to engage with the institutions rather than a single person. So, so these are my prayers. We are currently, I am trying to developing a curriculum for worship and music studies in Pakistan. And through that, we are bringing up uh, and breaking this, uh, uh, like a breaking ground for this discipline. And I hope that someday it will be part of the regular curriculum in, in the theological curricula. Yeah. Well, we thank God for your work, Dr. Sarwar. We yeah, are also just thankful for your time and energy as you helped us unpack some of your scholarship and also share some of your ministry. Thanks for joining us today. Jeremy, thank you very much. And I pray and hope that may God bless you more. And uh, through your ministry and through your conversations, may the world know the majesty and the beauty of our Lord. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Eric. Thanks for listening today, and a special thanks to the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship for their support of this podcast. Grace that is great.